Where'd you get the boots from? They are Lucchese's. Ooh. Official Texan over here. I got them, I think, a year after I moved here. But I love them. Oh, my gosh. They're beautiful. Thank I really, you. like, I feel like I'm at the point with my boots where it's like, I have my cheap pair that was just for fashion. And I have my, like, yes. riding boots that I've had since I was, like, a teenager. I love that Western riding. That's so oh, yeah, Western riding. And now I need now I need a pair that's just like a happy blend. Like a I am an adult now, and I need a cute pair of boots that I can you know wear into the real world, but maybe on a horse. Maybe. I love that. Exactly. I don't like to keep them too clean. Yeah. You know. You know so it looks like I may have ride. just jumped off a horse. <laughs> Who knew? But <laughs> cool. Well, ladies, welcome back to the Sweet Tea Series. I am joined by Lara Carr. Hi, Lara. How are Hello. you? I am great. Thank you for having me. No, oh, so nice to be here. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are. Who are you? <laughs> My name is Laura Carr. I am a new Texan here moved here about three years ago, but I feel like it is uh, my home state. I grew up overseas, so um, been back and forth to the UK and the US my whole life. Oh, and funny you should mention UK. Why is that? Because normally on this podcast, we have sweet tea, but because we have a Brit in, in the studio, we have a little teacup here and a little tea. Amazing. <laughs> that is adorable. From your bridal shower that is from my bridal shower yes such a good memory which is funny because you wore the perfect because it was a it was a tea party literally and you wore like the perfect hat which i thought was so funny because what is the hat called um the english the english hat yeah the little one where it's like a headband and then it has fascinator yeah yes and it was so funny because my now mother-in-law i think sent out a message like okay everyone wear like your hat or whatever and she was picturing fascinators and all the girls showed up in like cowboy hats except for you and i was like you don't need to tell me to wear a hat you don't need to tell me what to dress up i love it that is very fun so very cute thank you so you're from the uk Explain how you got here to Texas. It's kind of a long story. I think our whole family have the wanderlust, the ladies in my family. Mm -hmm. So it started with my grandmother in England. She grew up in London during the war. And then my grandfather grew up in Germany. Uh, They met at a nightclub in London and then eloped to Canada. Oh my goodness, I didn't know this. Yes, Uh, it's, it's an interesting one. And then my mother was born in Canada and then they moved to New York Colorado and then Dallas where they lived the longest. So I grew up visiting Dallas all the time But didn't know that a lot of German things were actually German. I thought that they were Texan (laughs) So my grandpa, you know, he had a thick accent and he'd eat this, you know German bread and do all these things that I actually thought were from Texas But we had the the mix going on my mother grew up in Dallas and then met my dad at a wedding in London fell in love Close full circle moved to london so i grew up was born there growing up coming here and of course as soon as i'm you know college age want to move to the us so i love it i've been here for over 10 years now and i would never go back um but i love visiting my family there it's so yeah. fun but i want them to be here yeah i would love here. an excuse to just oh i have to go to europe for christmas oh see ya <laughs> it is super handy to have them right there because when we have kids and we want to go on trips with them and then the whole family we can just go to europe and everyone's already there that is perfect and you could just like 
drop the kids off and you guys can just go off and travel. That is an idea. So I There's feel no like options. the number one question for everyone right now is, where's your accent? How, how come you don't have an accent? It, that is a good question. I really blame it on my mom. And Disney Channel, no. really, like, I watched a lot growing up, and um, I was also in theater, and I had a strange accent growing up. It was sometimes a bit Cockney, like my dad, and then sometimes a bit Texan, like my mom. So, um, went to camp here a little bit, and okay. ended up having having this one. But going to the University of Alabama, it just solidified. Ah. That'll do it. Yeah, the y'alls, you know. That'll do it. Yes, so totally. when you were there, did when you would watch Disney, did it sound like they had British or American accents, or did you not notice a difference? Or uh, I don't know what age I was. My mom had one, but now it's funny because she has more of a, she has a British twang, I would say. Does she? Oh, I love she that, does. a British twang. She works in my old high school, and so she definitely says a lot of Britishisms that make all of us laugh over here when she comes back. But very fun. That's so fun. What's something that like very British? Tea and crumpets. Tea and crumpets. I know. I feel like that's coming over here now. People know so much more about Britain <laughs> in the U.S. than I think ever before. I so. yeah. I kind of think it's because of the TV show The Crown. I think so. The monarchy is definitely glorified. I think in the U.S., which is, you know, fun for, for a dress up. But yeah, yeah. I'm not a big fan of the monarchy. Well, that, that like gets us into our pop cultures with principles section because the last season is officially out. They're done. They're wrapping. So a little bit of background for me. Yes. I obviously Disney Channel, you had all the princesses and stuff. And yes. then when I got older and I learned that they were real princes and princesses, um, I saw the queen and I was like, and the princess and the princess I was like you know this isn't giving me fairy tale vibes so I'm not really interested in this it was like a little too real so I was like whatever right. then I moved to DC as an adult and lots of my friends out there are very much fans of the royal family they keep up with everything like they have the tea sets from London and they're just isn't there a word for it when you're just really into like the monarchy and is it a monarchist like what is it um I know Francophile, right? Is like if you're super <laughs> into like French royalist. culture, a royalist. royalist. I think okay. that's it. Yes, okay. you yes. ladies can fact check us later. Yes, but, please do. Um, yeah, and they were just like super into it. So then I was kind of like, okay, I should I should look into this. And during COVID, it was like finally at the point of boredom where I was like, forget it. I'm just gonna watch The Crown. <laughs> and I'm not gonna lie, it was a little tough for me to like really get into. It was very slow. I didn't have a lot of information about their history and all this sort of stuff. So I feel like, you know, I slowly got through it. And really, really, I was just waiting for Diana. I, I was know. waiting for her to right. come on the stage and have her whole show. And I honestly feel star. like I've learned so much about the royal family now. And so I'm just curious as someone who, because you were, you grew up in London? I did. I grew up um, just outside London. And okay. then my parents moved to the country um, when I was around eight. So then lived in the countryside, lived in a village and, and all that. A village? So, you were in a village. Yes, about an hour and a half outside of London. So you can't say that in the U.S. You can't be like, oh, I'm from I a know. village. Like, a what? No, you're from a town. You're from a city. Right. There were my, Our village was big. We had 3,000 people in our village. And it means you have a post office and a pub. You have to have a pub and a, a cathedral or a church or something. Wow. You have to have those to be a village. So, yes. Is that, like, legitimately? Yes. 
You know, whenever you talk about this, it feels like I'm in um, that computer game, Age of Empires, where you're like <laughs> trying to build an environment. Like, if you build a church, you get more points. And I'm yes. so sorry my nerdiness is showing right now. But... That's so true. I've actually played it, so it's okay. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. Oh, we need to play Yeah, that my fiance is a big fan, but. Really? He is. Okay, we just need to sidebar on that because uh, <laughs> we can definitely online game it's anytime. It's like The Sims. Yeah, but in except. Creating little towns. Yeah, it's except fun. medieval. medieval. <laughs> so, um, okay. So did you ever interact with the monarchy? Like, did you ever go see the shows? I know you just said that you don't like them, but like, tell us more about your thoughts and feelings on I the monarchy. I wouldn't say I don't like them, but I think the system, the system yes. is not good. Okay. You have a lot of taxpayer money going to um, the crown jewels, which are beautiful, and I love them. But uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me when people are born into wealth. I do think things should be more merit-based really. So when I was a baby, I did say to my parents, that was when I first found out about the queen. So why is the queen the queen? And she said, oh, good question. Well, she was born into that. And I went, that's not fair, you know, as a baby. And so I think that that's always been in me, especially someone who's been interested in government yeah. since a really young age. It's always been there. I thought, why is this possible? And then their um, House of Lords is also um, not an elected body. It's, you know, you're born into that position, which is the higher chamber the House of Commons and the House of Lords. And to me, that is just so undemocratic that they could have that kind of system where you were essentially born into it or you could buy your position as a lord. See, I I don't, I'm not like familiar. Can you like give us a general overview of how the system works? Because I really don't understand how the monarchy, how the monarchy like plays in with like the government at all. Because honestly, watching the crown, it's very confusing because she's just like sitting there and goes to occasions. And I'm like, what do you actually do? And do you have influence? I don't understand. I would definitely say they have influence in their like the figureheads of the country, you know? So, um, they do the speeches on Christmas, and they will definitely come out in some political positions occasionally um, to represent the country. And the good thing it does is it does bring a lot of tourism to the UK. So that's a that is one benefit, you know. And everyone loved the Queen, you know, Queen Elizabeth. So sad. Queen Elizabeth. The queen. I love the Queen, right? Um, and I think that was yeah, a big shakeup when she passed. So people are reevaluating their thoughts on the monarchy. I think. Now. Interesting. So so there's the monarchy, and then how do they interact with the government there? Uh, they don't really have an official place um, as far as uh, policy-wise, mm-hmm. but the queen is a figurehead and can make speeches, and they try and stay technically out of policy. See, making this is just validating what the crown said because it's the same thing. Queen Elizabeth was really big on like, do not get involved in politics, do not get involved in the politics, and then her son was all like, no, we need to shake things up, like we need to be better. So, so how do you feel about? Um, well, I guess he's now King Charles. Yes. Any thoughts or feelings on him? You know, not the biggest fan. Tell me why. Spill the tea. You know, with everything that happened with Diana, and I just think. Uh, it's just not a, he's an unfa- unfaithful man, and I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that that's very good representative of our, you know. Agreed. Country. So how invested are you in, like, the story of the monarchy? Like, are you following, like, the Will and Kate romance and the Diana drama and, you know, also Will and Kate potentially becoming king and queen? Like, how much are you, like, following up on that, and do you like to follow it? I do enjoy following it when I talk to my family and friends in the UK to hear what they think now that, you know, um, uh, Will and, and 
or uh, Megan and Harry are in the U.S., right? I love to hear their opinions on it, and it's a real mixed bag. Really? Oh, tell us. My grandfather in the U.K. just despises them both now, just thinks that they are sham, sham to the country <laughs> and very, very upset. Um, and then, you know, a lot of friends will say, oh, they're cool, but... Uh, I stay out of it more now with the yeah. the pop culture stuff. It's too much drama. It it's too a much. lot of drama, and I yeah. I loved Meghan Markle in the show Suits. She was very good. I I saw that too. Like yeah. I watched that like when it was first out. Like me and my dad would watch it, mm -hmm. and then I like kept watching it, and eventually finished it um, as an adult. But it, I like her getting all tied up in like the drama. At first, I was like, man, I love that Meghan Markle is almost like the new Diana, where she's going in sure. to the royal family and she's gorgeous and she's so well-spoken and she is so generous and philanthropic. And then I don't understand what happened, but it quickly felt like um, she just added a lot of drama. That's how it looks like to me. And I refuse to get involved and like watch the, the their like little Netflix show or movie that yes. they did. Did you ever watch that? I did not, but I, I saw that and I thought, I thought they were trying to get out of the public eye. You know? <laughs> That's what I really thought. Like, oh, I thought they didn't want to be in the public. And that I really respect. If they, I actually really understand that. I don't know what they deal with um, not being a royal myself. So <laughs> I can't imagine they have things they have to do, right? I don't blame them for wanting to leave necessarily. Yeah. But having the Netflix show was like, come on. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, so, they're, little, they're out in California now, right? I think so. But I say the crown is informative. That's a, it is a really good show, and it clearly it it you feel like you're more educated than on this than me. So I do. I'm like shocked. <laughs> I'm like shocked how much I've learned. I've been like kind of holding out on the final season and just waiting until I have time to just digest because Hi. that's how I you know with shows I'll just like binge watch really quickly and I'll be like mm -hmm. oh well now what do I have to look forward to? So <laughs> the. I kind of left on, you know, Will is starting to, like, get more involved in the show and he's taking okay. a bigger presence, which is so fascinating to me because I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's like a grown man who can, like, watch this and be like, it's got to be so awkward to, one, be that actor playing the prince, but then also to be the prince watching the actor depict his life in real time. Like, I feel like people don't do that until you're, like, dead. And yet here it is happening, like, in real time. Yeah. And I'm curious how they're going to show the relationship between the two brothers, especially since Netflix gave, like, Megan right. and Harry, like, a platform. So I'm just curious if that's going to flood into the way that they share the story of their, their youth on the crown. I'm sure. Mm. I'm sure they'll add something spicy to it, though, yeah. to keep people engaged. Yeah. But that'll be interesting. When does that come out? What? The final. Oh, season. it's already out. Oh, yeah, oh. it's been out. Well... Need to catch up. Have you watched any of the episodes? I have. I've, I've watched a couple of seasons. Actually, my fiance was more into it than me. Really? So. Well, that's because he's American. It's, it's so like fascinating to us. We're just like, what? Do you guys have kings and queens? <laughs> it is crazy. It is. Um, do you think Will and Kate are going to be a good king and queen? I have no idea. I think we should abolish the monarchy. I'm going to be unpopular opinion maybe in the U.S. But Tell me more. My dad's a small business owner, and he's paying so many tax dollars towards this entity that nobody knows what they do. And I think they had a place in history and time, but mm -hmm. I don't know if it's as relevant now. And the money that's going into it, I think, could be used better. Yeah, that's interesting. People. So say so say it was abolished and you didn't have a monarchy anymore, what would you expect the system to look like? Like, how would it function in your mind? 
I don't know because I worry that it is so part of the British culture. Mm-hmm. And that would just be a drastic change. And I think that people love that when they visit. There's so many beautiful palaces and places to see. So I do think that that sparkle of something kind of magical when you visit the UK Mm -hmm. would go. Um, So I don't know what a new system will look like, but you're giving me a lot of thoughts. (laughs) I am just so, so curious because, yeah, I just never had an inkling to like go and and be like, oh, yeah, let me watch the marriage. Let me watch the coronation. Like, Did your family attend the coronation for King Charles? Or like were any of them like excited to see it or make the trek out there? There's always a party. So whenever there's like a jubilee or a party or there's some kind of event, there is always a party, like a street party in our village. In your village. And then if you want to go into London, it's just a big headache. It's like a lot. So we, we never went really to that. But we always celebrate. A lot of people have little queen hats on. and It's fun. Oh gosh, it's <laughs> yes. so cute. See, now I kind of want to go. Like, this is piquing my interest. I'm like, okay. It's fun. For the fun go, aspect, Will. absolutely. Yeah. I just think the money could go to better use. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So... <laughs> Switching over to the policy pulse, um, tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now and what all you're involved in. Sure. Yeah. A lot of what I'm working on policy-wise is thinking of ideas and issues that involve AI regulation. Um, I'm really excited about AI, and I feel like I'm 50% super excited about AI and 50% cautious of AI. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, that's really going to be the big topic of conversation over the next few years forever going on, right? I'm very uh, nerdy on this subject and love to get in the weeds on it. But I really think there's going to be a huge shift with education that we are going to need to keep up with. In, in what right. way do you see AI playing a role in the educational system? I think it's going to happen a lot faster than the Industrial Revolution. So that was over the course of 40, 50 years. The AI revolution is going to happen over the course of 10. And it's Crazy. keeping, you know, I keep thinking about my future children and what kind of education they'll need to be getting and informed about AI and not seeing it as a threat. I think banning it is really, really actually disruptive and bad for kids because they need to be learning how to use these tools to their advantage, using their creativity, becoming entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. There's going to be so many amazing avenues to create business and innovate. But I think children need to be learning about it and using it alongside education. And I don't think education is kind of keeping up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think adding that to the curriculum would be really important for high school kids. Um, And then re kind of training people in the workforce, you know, just looking at roles like marketing and things like that, where AI tools are not going to replace people necessarily, if they're using them uh, the right way and using them to create and innovate. It sounds like they need to teach the children how to use it as a tool to make sure that they can go into the workforce and be productive members of society. Absolutely. And I think if Texas doesn't keep up with that, it is a, a workforce um, issue, exactly, because everybody's going to be using it. All businesses now are. There's so many sectors that are using this tech. And if kids aren't up to speed with how to use it, then there might be this big tech gap as mm-hmm. well. And I think there's so many companies, there's you know five or six uh, actual AI open source companies right now that are developing. I'm sure there's going to be a ton more. But knowing how to use that to our advantage, it's It's exciting. There's Mm -hmm. so much that could be done, but I want to make sure that the kids are up to speed. Yeah, because I think Google has, what is it, Bart? And then Elon, like, did his own. Brock, yes. Brock. 
Also, like, how are they naming these things? I don't understand I the names for these. I need to I need to look it up because I'm like, how, how did you get to Bart and Brock and what? It really cracks me up. But uh, Google has just released Gemini as well. That's it. Wait, then who who did who did Bart? They then? did Bart. Too. They did. OK, mm-hmm. so I'm not crazy. I think they're trying to elevate their next tool. OK, from from Bard. But OpenAI is the real. Yeah. Overall pioneer. Have you used ChatGPT? Oh, yet? of course. Yes. How do you use it? I'm so intrigued by how like people apply this to their work or life. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like I'm a designer through and through, but like right. a lot of like the little copy elements I need to do, I have to either go to someone or I have to try to write it myself. And it's very frustrating because I am not the strongest writer and I just feel like it takes me so much more effort to write something because I think sure. writing one sentence that's very well written is a lot harder than writing a paragraph. Yes. And so I'm like, man, how do I condense this into a one liner? Like all of oh, the yeah. comms staff, they're so good at it, but like that's not my forte. And I don't want to bog them down. Like, can yeah. you give me a one liner? And I'm waiting. So I go to chat GPT. I get them all the reference points and they spit out a couple of options. Sometimes I tweak it. Sometimes it's pretty spot on. Right. And then that way I'm super efficient. I'm not having to rely on someone else and I'm not taking up like an extra hour of my time trying to draft one sentence. So right. I definitely see it being a tool in my wheelhouse as a designer. But it's interesting well, because I've had a lot of people ask me, like, do you think your job's safe with AI? Especially, well, and and to what I always say is like, well, yes and no. Like, yes, in the sense that they can do a lot of what Photoshop does right now. And I think eventually it'll get really good at generating templates and making edits. But no, I think my job is secure. Like, no, I don't think it's going to tackle it because I am starting right now to use it as a resource. Like, I'm not fighting it. I'm not afraid of it. It's like, okay, I'm at least at the point in my career where my design is elevated enough that I can use it to enhance what I'm already doing. And so I'm trying really hard to like embrace it and not be afraid of it um, and seeing what's out there. But thankfully, thankfully, it's tacking tackling like the writing stuff first, right? Like textual edits and things. I know visual is eventually going to get there. I know it's already disrupted a lot of industries. So it'll be curious. Good question. I'm not used to getting such good questions asked. Amazing. Well, it's good to hear your perspective on it, too, and that you're using it in a a kind of a creative way because getting behind it, my fiance says a really good line. He's like, people are not going to be replaced by AI. People not using AI will be replaced by AI. And I I thought that that was a really good line. And it's so true because we're kind of seeing with you, like you said, you could increase your productivity a ton. You didn't spend that hour doing that. So then you can become superhuman. You can spend that Mm -hmm. hour doing other things, even more productive and creative and that are maybe more in your wheelhouse and you enjoy more. Yeah. So do you find mm -hmm. that there's a lot of negative comments about AI, like as you're working on like the policy and learning about it? Like, do you have any indication like why people are so against it? I think people are just afraid of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And I think having the open source AI is a little scary for people and not everybody's used it yet. You've used it, right? And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who have not even touched it or ever even seen it and Mm -hmm. don't know how to use it. And I think it can sound scary and futuristic. Um, But I think there are really reasonable reasons to be cautious of it and start to regulate it. Definitely, because open source allows anybody to use that code Mm -hmm. and create something amazing or something very, very bad. And that is a 
concern is getting is giving you know this code to people who yeah. have bad you know bad actors in general yeah 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 so well and then the question concern. is like how would you regulate something like that it's kind of like the same i feel like in the right. 90s when it was like how do you regulate the internet i know like once it's out there like how do you contain it there's going to be case by case basis i think but i think i read an article this morning from OpenAI's research team and they were saying that at some point, you know, we're at AI phase now, which is it can complete basic tasks. Like, like you said, with language models, it can create, you know, paragraphs, content, mm -hmm. analyze data, create some code, do things like that, create images. But AGI is what they're racing towards, and that is artificial general intelligence, which is hmm. extremely, um, it's like a multimodal uh, interface that you can, it can do more than one task like a human would at a time interesting so that we don't even know the implications of that yet mm -hmm. but the article was about how do we train these models when they get far smarter than us when the person controlling the ai is not as smart as the ai mm -hmm. and making sure that they do that now and they're trying to lock it down now interesting yes <laughs> there's a lot to go into but i find it really interesting and yeah, that's where my new career venture has taken me. Yeah, so. you're really knowledgeable about all of this stuff. And I know you've Thanks. kind of been working on something on the side. Do you want to share? Are you allowed to share about that now? Do you want to sure. talk to us about it? Because I think it's super cool yeah. what you're doing. Thank Why don't you, you like share like the general idea behind it and then we can like get into the specifics. Sure. Well, it goes off of what you said, you know, really well, of how you're using AI and how it's changing. And I was using it through session. I, I kept thinking, you know, anytime I was doing a task that was, repetitive or mundane and I felt wasn't I wasn't using my full potential you know I love meeting with constituents through working in the Senate through session I absolutely love meeting with um, lobby groups and advocates and people who had issues and constituents that we wanted to change the law for I adored doing that and so I was able to meet with so many more people with the help of OpenAI, ChatGPT actually so it really helped me summarize pieces of legislation that I wouldn't have been able to have read in time, right? There was so much going on that day mm -hmm. and it really helped me with that. But then it got me thinking, this could go into so many different areas, whether you know I was in fundraising or mm -hmm. lobbying, um, like I've done before, I thought, huh, there's a lot of applications to this. So um, yeah, my fiance and I started a company midway through session, was very busy. Which We're I cannot believe you <laughs> and your fiance decided to start something like that in of itself is like wow impressive oh thank like you i love the idea <laughs> of working with my husband i don't know how it would play out practically speaking i think we're really good in our little in our little spheres his yes. little engineering brain my creative brain like we're, we're good where we are so the yes. fact that like you are going into business not with family but with fiance is amazing but then yes. doing that in the middle of session like it's really unbelievable that like you had the bandwidth and avail availability to like do that it was a lot <laughs> but we definitely thought we were onto something um he's the tech expert so he started a lot of businesses before and then brought businesses to market and um all in tech and so i was excited to get his experience to help me create the get this idea to like come to life right yeah and so i just want to speak on one more thing that you said so you talked about how you would love to meet with constituents, but you didn't necessarily have enough time because you had so much legislation you had to read through for your job. Like those are two components of your job, right? It was a lot of research and it wasn't just even legislation. It was drafting talking points and one pagers and content creation. Um, 
that I knew that AI and a lot of this tech was going to be able to do at some point. So it just got me thinking, hmm, we could definitely, there's a market here to allow people, especially in the kind of influencing realm, advocates or um, government relations, public affairs professionals, there's such a market here for helping people get things done quicker. Because I know when I was in um, the government relations world, I wanted to be out there, you know, meeting people and building relationships and strategizing and um, doing all that. I didn't want to do all of, um, you know, do the research as much. I know and it's necessary. There's so much information from vast amounts of campaign finance data to committee hearing and floor debates to uh, all the legislation that is coming through all the time. And then you have to keep up with the news. It's a lot to manage. I know for one person and one position, it sounds like a ton. So um, yeah, we're just creating tools essentially that make it so much easier for people in public affairs and government relations to use and and yourself. So thank you for being a new prototype user. I'm yeah. excited to get your feedback. And it's actually really cool. So from like people. a design perspective, thank I you. look at it and I'm like, this is like very well designed. Now things in the government, like I've worked for the government, it, they are not, they're not nice, they're not efficient, they're not visually appealing, like, but your UX UI, like the user interface, I think is great. Like it is, it is awesome. Can you talk through kind of how it works and what exactly you guys are doing? Of course. Uh, so we got so lucky meeting the best co-founder. He's an amazing engineer. He's um, started companies, worked in a lot of startups, and he does front-end and back-end design and coding, and he's he's amazing. So we're really, uh, I'm learning how to speak engineer right now. Cool. And uh, my fiance, Eric, he's really good at it. So he's uh, the CEO right now and helping uh, me with the sales side a lot and uh, working with people that I know. So the tool, uh, we're creating an interrelational database. And I'll, I'll back up, this summer we, um, we acquired Texas Election Source, which was a news platform campaign finance data aggregation tool that was closed down. Uh, so shout out to Jeff Blaylock, the former owner. He uh, He's awesome. I know a lot of people refer to him as the owl. He is oh, all-knowing, cool. all-seeing. <laughs> he worked in the ledge and uh, has been around for a while. So he closed it down in January of this year. And I'd used it in the past to track races and kind of uh, work on strategy and things like that. And um, so, yeah, reached out to him and got in conversation about the AI side of things and how you could essentially do a lot more, query, make it more queryable. And then the grander vision, which was a full public affairs tool, which was. Yeah, because I remember you telling me like when he was selling it, it was like a big deal for you and like people with your type of role because you're like, oh, um, I actually use that a lot. And like functioning without that is going to be challenging, right? Absolutely. And he like manually entered in a bunch of information too, right? Yes. So he was tracking races, manually entering information, and then creating algorithms based on voter tendencies. So he was creating like proprietary systems on which districts would vote more, lean more red or lean more blue. And it was really fascinating mm -hmm. stuff. So um, I just loved his kind of objective reporting style and just showing the data and the facts. Yeah, which that's really I cool. Love. So we acquired that. So that's the first piece that we launched about a month and a half ago. Yeah. And so you guys, like, how did you use AI when you bought that? How did AI influence how you guys, how the company, how the platform functions now? 
So we relaunched Texas Elects Legacy, is what we're calling it, which was what Jeff created, the former uh, Candidate Insights crib sheet data. So it's a lot of information that um, is in there that we're automating. So that's going to come straight in from Secretary of State's website directly into the portal as soon as it's available, which is great. Mm -hmm. Makes it a lot more easy. Uh, and then we're making it queryable with AI. So we can feed the AI and train it on the data and ask it who has the most cash on hand or which representatives um, are in races with challengers or who is unopposed and ask kind of more questions who endorsed who very easily uh, in this so that you can get that information right away. And previously, would this have to be something that you would just like have to Google to find out? Or was this originally in the... This was in the original Texas Selects. He did such a great job of putting so much data in there. But it was all by hand, right? All by hand. I still can't get over that. Like, I have to keep asking because so I'm like, did he really input all of this data? Like, yeah. how did he have time to, like, live? I think it's part of why he wanted to sell it, yeah. too, right? He wanted to close down shop. So um, we're tracking 677 candidates right now, but I know that's going to change and increase every day mm -hmm. uh, as we're waiting for the uh, filing deadline to um, all the, the stragglers to come in. Mm -hmm. So those are still coming in until uh, next week. But um, that was just first piece. You know, version one, we're creating legislator profiles, so it's easy to find their websites and candidate uh, information that way. And then the legislative piece is what I'm super excited about, what we're building. So we're in prototype phase, and um, we have the committee hearing and floor debate tool. So it allows you to go in and you see an immediate transcription summary of the hearing. You can clip the video. You can search through um, testimony and ask the AI questions. You know, it's trained on the information from the testimony mm -hmm. and from the transcript. So it goes into this vector database that is then queryable. And you could say, hey, I represent this company. How would this piece of legislation impact me? And if it's a really long committee, you could say which bills were in this committee or what was the vote or who was present. Wow. And it will give you that really quick feedback, especially when we're in session. Um, that's what I'm most excited about, kind of the future of this. But that is what we have built right now. And so we have 10 awesome super users um, groups using it, including your team. So I am excited to get feedback. And then we're going to customize and build the tool to really meet everybody's needs. You know, we mm -hmm. have a lot of different groups, research teams, news organizations, lobbyists, think tanks, different groups using it. So used in different ways. Yeah. And we're going to get as much feedback as possible and just make it the best tool uh, for them and make it make it happen. That's really cool. So you Thank coming you. from London, it's like, you're just so you moved to Texas. Now you're so entrepreneurial, which I love. It's like you, you saw a problem. And you were like, I can solve this with a tool that I think, which AI, which is a tool that most people are super uncomfortable with. They don't know how to make it work for them. And yet you found a way. And it, I just, you. I can see this being a um, very cool story that's gonna play out. So I feel like we're gonna have to have you back on here to give us a little update because You're this so just sweet. seems like something that will just totally take off in my opinion. It just, it just seems you. that way. We've had a really good response. Um, we had a lobbyist reach out to me yesterday and say, I'm just doing this with my clients and showing them all the testimony and I am a Superman right now. I'm a hero. This is awesome. So the feedback has been pretty cool, but I have to say it's a shout out to my dad. My dad's an entrepreneur oh. and uh, has I've always had that spirit. So I definitely get it from him. Um, but yeah, the uh, 
the creations I'm about to do like a op-ed to ease people's minds mm -hmm. on on the AI and government relations world. I think people need to see it as a tool. Mm -hmm. And when you think of the applications of it, it really is gonna be people using it will be superhuman at their jobs. Mm -hmm. And they're not gonna be replaced. It's just the boring stuff, right? Honestly, the yeah. The tedious stuff that's going to be yeah. um, being covered. So um, we're creating essentially a relational database that has everything from campaign finance data to floor debates to all the legislation and then putting it all together into one. So you can query it and ask it to create content for you or give you live alerts on when something is said on the house floor that mm -hmm. is gonna really impact you, some bill that you're tracking and you'll know it immediately. It's quicker than anyone could type. So um, that live will come up, we'll try that out in the first special of the year, I think. That's uh, really cool. So when I was in DC, I knew that, so my my team, so I was also the creative director up there cool. for Caucus, and we had like a whole ledge team and they mm -hmm. were all assigned a portfolio and each one had like different policy areas that they would have to track and manage. And I just felt so bad for the team because as soon as the bill was dropped, it was their job to read the whole thing, yep. summarize it into one paragraph and have it ready the next morning to go out to all of our members to make sure people understood it, that we were on the same page. And they were essentially what AI would be doing now is like they were trying to synthesize the data to save these members time with all of their staff going through. So instead of right. having like hundreds of staff members reading through this, trying to understand the bill and come up with like varying opinions, our team would read it and that would be a launching point for them. So I'm just, th just thinking like, man, if, uh, if a tool like this was used, imagine how much more efficient, how much more effective, how much more they could do mm -hmm. if their time isn't bogged down with stuff like that. A hundred percent. And I'm excited to have that's one of the big features we want to have ready by next session is, you know, there was 11,000 bills filed in a four month period until the filing deadline last session. So we added that up. That's, you know, 120 bills a day to read. And that's impossible for, you know, an association or a group who's yeah. tracking specific things to make sure that their interests are protected. That's a lot of uh, work to have to do. And it, it it's makes impossible. you wonder, like, what, like, it, are people reading all of these? Like, can it can things just think, easily slip in there and, like, not get noticed? And then all of a sudden we have, like, a law that, you know, the majority of it we wanted, but we didn't notice this one little piece. And so now it's like, oh, what do we do? Very good point. This will definitely help with transparency. No, this easy ease access for for information will be awesome. Yeah. Um, we're going to be able to see, you know, how did the bill get amended and do a side by side in a second. Uh, as soon as that gets put into in through committee or on the floor, or something happens or mm -hmm. changes, we'll be able to see the changes live, uh, you know, draft content. I think uh, you'll be able to track any time a legislator ever spoke mm -hmm. and you can search it by topic. Um, we'll train it on their their voices. So there's a lot of exciting parts that this can, you know, auto automate a lot of the work. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a client you want to send out clips to about your bill, it's on auto send. And uh, you can you can either double your client load or, you know, go each have fun with your family. Oh, that's so. awesome. That's yeah. a good way to um, wrap our policy pulse. Cool.
Yeah, that's really cool. Definitely keep us um, apprised of all that is going on. I will. We're very excited. Thank you so much. Uh, we hope to have you back on that subject. But to. for now, let's shift over to the Conservative Council. So this is the part of the segment where you will give advice based on kind of where you're at in your life. Okay. So the first question that I have is how do you make the jump to having a steady, consistent job with a paycheck and benefits, and then starting something and going in full time. Like how that transition seems so terrifying. And that's one thing with entrepreneurs that I have so much respect for is that they're willing to take the leap. How? That is such a good question. You have to be a risk taker in some way. Um, and I think it's a risk reward thing. Uh, and I definitely, I mean, I'm open to that. You know, I think I definitely see potential with this. This has already taken off and it's become a legitimate business, which is super exciting. Um, and I think having the support of family and friends and encouragement mm -hmm. is really important in life, right? And just believing in yourself. That's the big, big thing. Obviously, being financially responsible enough to, you know, you know, you can work for free for a while. That was going to be my question is like, do you tee yourself up financially to take this? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because as uh, a co-founder of something, you want to reinvest all the money in the company. So any money that we get, we want to just put that into more engineering resources and bring on more, you know, teams and pay our interns mm -hmm. and, you know, I think that's going to be really important. Like the three of us co-founders are very happy not being paid for a while so we can, you know, make sure the company grows how it's supposed to and that all the tools we want are created. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is a risk, but we think the reward will be great and the, the service is going to provide and usage. So, yeah, it's you have to take a risk for sure. So develop a product that you really believe in. This is what I'm hearing. Sure. Make sure you have a really good support system and make sure you plan out your financial trajectory to make sure that you can stay committed to this dream. 100%, because if you have any issue with uh, a payment or you don't know how you're gonna make ends meet, then I think that's a really hard situation to be in to put your best foot forward and like actually create something because you're gonna be constantly worried and things like that. So I do think um, that's something my fiance has really helped me with in teaching me financial responsibility mm -hmm. and things like that is, planning for anything, mm -hmm. anything can happen. So definitely. no, that's really cool. That makes so much more sense to me. And like, I, you know, I always have these dreams of like, okay, well, what if I want to start my own thing? And then I quickly just like get overwhelmed with like, then I have to search for healthcare and then I, da, da, da. but you actually kind of make this sound like digestible steps to starting something, to growing something, to leaving something very comfortable. So that's really yes. cool. Thank you. Yeah. So another question that I have from a college student is that she is looking to, she wants to move to London for awesome. her career. Okay. But, and the reason why she was going to do that is because the visa structure was like super open. She was like, this is so great. I want to live abroad. I want to become cultured and all this sort of stuff. That's but then awesome. they changed the visa structure and it's incredibly okay. hard to get a job. Okay. What would you say to Americans that are wanting to go live and work in Europe for whatever reasons? Like, what challenges yeah. do you foresee them facing? One thing I've seen friends have, which is really interesting, is the salaries are actually a lot lower in Europe than in the U.S. However, the good thing is you are able to 
work remotely now in so many jobs and so many fields. So I would say that this is no better time to find a position that you love, a job you love in the U.S. that is flexible and willing to allow you to be remote and travel the world. Like that sounds so fun. And I know you're a big traveler and mm -hmm. I am as well. And um, you know, give it about a little bit. And we've got so much going on with the business right now. But yeah, we want to take some time to go and travel the world before having kids. And um, I think you can do that now with remote work. Um, mm -hmm. It's very exciting. So I would recommend looking and seeing what's available. I had a good friend who moved from DC where I was to London. And she got her master's uh, in nuclear um, threats, actually. Oh, really can we impressive. have her on the podcast? She's really cool. That yeah. sounds awesome. <laughs> and she um, got her first job that was paying half of what she was making in D.C. with a master's degree. Oof. So she actually ended up getting um, a really great position recently paying a lot of money that's remote from um, the U.S., actually. Mm. So I think I would definitely, if she's in the U.S., so much opportunity here. Mm -hmm. Take up those opportunities, see what would be flexible, and then go travel the world, go live in every country you can. I think that would be my recommendation. I really, I really agree with that a lot. It's like basically what I heard you say is, hey, maybe <laughs> don't get a job in Europe. Maybe get a job <laughs> in America and then go enjoy it, which is so funny because that's the exact advice that I gave her too. I was like, really? I know it sounds amazing yes. and you're learning so much, but there's... Uh, the right way and a better way and the best way to do it. And you want to set yourself up for success. I will say if she's interested in doing it, trying it out, but knowing in the back of her mind she has the option to come to the or, you know, start a, a job in the U.S. that is remote. But it because uh, it would be a good cultural experience, mm -hmm. too. But so many companies now, their organizations are so global that mm -hmm. I think you, you meet and interact with people from every you know country. So, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting for her. Yeah. Okay, so for everyone out there who yes. wants to maybe look into your product or get to know you better, where can they sure. find you? Where can they follow you? Yes. Thank you for asking. Uh, you can go to our website, which is txlx.com, and you can become a subscriber there. And uh, right now it's available for campaign finance and all of the election data, but soon will be the legislative side, which will be coming very soon for uh, subscription. So. Very cool. Well, okay. thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And of thank course. you for this amazing tea. You're so welcome. So festive. All right, ladies, we hope that you have a fantastic Friday and a lovely weekend. We will see you back here next week.